Welcome to Vegan Business Talk with Katrina Fox, author of Vegan Ventures, Start and Grow an Ethical Business. Hello and welcome to episode 53 of Vegan Business Talk. I'm Katrina Fox, journalist, author, media and PR coach, copywriter, editor and proofreader and founder of Vegan Business Media, a content events and training platform providing success tips for vegan business owners and entrepreneurs. In this episode, I interviewed Doran Peterson, founder of Sticky Fingers Bakery and Cafe and the newly launched Farewell Diner in Washington, D.C., Doran started Sticky Fingers in 1999 in her home kitchen before moving to a small basement storefront where she teamed up with Kirsten Rosenberg to create a vegan baking empire that included a chain of stores in South Korea. After Kirsten moved on to pursue her other passion of music, Doran went on to win the Food Network's Cupcake Wars twice and expanded Sticky Fingers into a cafe popular with both vegans and health-conscious consumers. With a degree in nutrition and food science, Doran is passionate about introducing people to creative and delicious animal-free foods. To that end, she opened Farewell, a diner, bakery and bar serving an array of tasty, savoury comfort dishes and sweet treats in the Atlas District in 2016. Being in the heart of DC, Doran has been providing catering services to several senators. Vegan Senator Cory Booker has been a customer of Sticky Fingers for years and also recently visited Farewell. In this interview, Doran talks about how one of the three jobs she worked while setting up Sticky Fingers resulted in meeting someone who was instrumental to the success of the business, why being great at baking cookies and cakes alone isn't enough to run a successful business, the importance and benefits of hiring staff who know more than you to help your business grow, the importance of being honest in admitting you don't know how to do something and being willing to ask for help, how to deal with and make the most of a sudden increase in sales after a big media appearance, why just because you're making a lot of money, especially at the start of your business when you're new and hot, doesn't mean you're profitable, and much more. Here's the interview with Doran Peterson of Sticky Fingers and Farewell. Hello, Doran. Thank you so much for coming on the show. It's great to have you. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. So I've been very excited to, to hear about the the growth of your business. Um, you know, you've been been doing this for a long time, and you've recently got a new venture that we've reported on earlier in one of the the news roundups. So I'm really delighted to be able to have you on the show to do a bit of a, a deep dive um, into your amazing businesses. So tell us about the why first of all. Um, you know, as mission driven entrepreneurs, the why, the purpose is very important. So tell us a little bit about why you do what you do. Sure. Um, well, I am vegan and I <laughs> have a background in food and nutrition and I've worked in restaurants for a super long time. Um, when I was in school for nutrition, I took a food science class that made me kind of realize that it's, baking is you know, really all about food chemistry. And so a lot of the traditional ingredients that are being used aren't necessarily just about the butter or the eggs, per se. It's about the, the 
chemistry behind it. And chemistry is everything from mixing, manipulation, to timing, to heat, to uh, the actual compound, the actual chemical that you're using. So um, I started applying different techniques and different ways to create traditional products, but without using eggs or dairy. Um, and I just started playing with it and feeding it to my friends and they liked it and then offered me money. <laughs> oh, that's always a good, that's a good, a good sign, isn't it? When your friends actually offer you money, that's excellent. Right. Right. That's, that's kind of, that's the, the quick, how it all happened. Um, I became vegan after learning more about the industry, the animal agriculture industry, and just really not wanting to be a part of that, um, removing myself from it. So it's been a, a process over, you know, let's see, how old am I? I don't know. I guess it's been 22 years now. Since, wow. Yeah. Since I started that and, um, it's just constantly evolved and, We've been part of kind of the infrastructure of, you know, I, I want to say normalizing vegan. So it's not this like scary, terrifying word. And that's really the goal of the business is to show people that you can have great food that tastes just like the non-vegan counterparts, but it's without using animal products. And doing that with a cookie or a cupcake is much easier than giving people something like a sandwich or a salad. You know, it's like a really fun way to entice people. So that's how Sticky Fingers started. And that that was the whole concept behind it. Wow. Wow, that's amazing. So tell us, let's go back, because I know Sticky Fingers have been running for for a long time now. So tell us a bit about, because, you know, going from, you know, making a few, you know, cakes and cookies for friends, and then they start to give you money, there's still a big leap from that to actually running a sustainable (laughs) business. So tell us about some of your, what were some of your key challenges when you first started up Sticky Fingers? Oh, my gosh, all of the challenges. I think the only reason that, that it actually started is because I had absolutely no idea what it really took to run a food business. And (laughs) I had a lot of experience, but no experience on the business side. So that's where I really had a huge learning curve. And, um, it, I had a lot of people that were cheering for me, I guess. And, you know, I call them my little food guardian angels because every time I would have a question or I'd say, I didn't know how to do something, um, somebody would pop up and say like, Hey, I can help you with this. So I was working, starting sticky fingers and working three different jobs. One of them, which was bartending and, uh, one of the, um, executives for Reuters had been a customer at my bar and he had recently been laid off and he had lots of time to spare. And we were talking about some business stuff. And he said, well, I know how to help you. Let me help you. And he's the first person that introduced us to everything from, you know, point of sales, accounting, cash flow, and just gave us like the, you know, overview business 101, accounting 101, and then how to move forward from there. So I'm still in contact with him 14 years later. He's just, he is the reason that (laughs) we were able to figure it all out. (laughs) without having to stop everything and like basically go back to school for an MBA. Right. So I say that this is my like lifelong MBA where I'm constantly learning and it's totally probably a lot more valuable than an MBA, like an actual (laughs) MBA. (laughs) Probably. Yeah. It's very specific to my needs. (laughs) 
Um, I love that. I think that, that shows the importance, I think, of relationships. And I love the way that you said that because, you know, just because you can bake something and you're obviously, you know, super creative in creating those recipes, that alone isn't enough to actually, uh, you know, run a business. You've either got to learn that all correct. yourself or if you've got a ton of money, you can get people into the right. side of it. So. And <laughs> that's the, that's actually the, that's the biggest lesson is that if you love what you do, if you love baking, if you love building, if you love making something and that's what you want to do, then do that. But if you want to run a business, it's very different, very different that's than baking right. cakes yeah. and making pies. That's right. I think so, the example used in the book, you've probably read it, the E-Myth uh, that the author yeah. uses about, it, I think he even uses a bakery and that's pretty much what he says is like, yeah, if you love to make cakes and some of you love to bake, go get a job in someone pies. else's bakery. It was pies. pies. Was yeah, it pies? I still, oh, okay. I still remember that book perfectly. Yeah, it was pies. And she wanted to open, I think, three different restaurants and her revenue was like $200,000 a year. It was, it, it, I remember it perfectly because being a bakery, I was like, oh my gosh, this is, it was like spelled out in front of me. Um, but the message through that book is really about, you know, honing your craft and then passing it on, hiring somebody and bringing in people that are dedicated to what you do and are going to execute your vision and your product so that you can push the business. So it took me a long time to be comfortable with that. You know, I love making cookies. But yeah, that's yeah. not the core of what I'm trying to do. I really have to make sure that we're running a successful business in order to get people interested. The, the marketing and the, the, the accounting is as important as the food that you're serving to people. Absolutely, um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so. And no one can sell your own product like as well as you can like in terms of promoting it and letting people know about it because you've just got that passion because it's it's your baby. Even though you've hired someone else to create the item, it, when you're the one going out there and, you know, talking about your business, I think nobody can right. do it quite as passionately as, as you. <laughs> right. It, and also being really, with, I think, the, is it like uh, humble or honest with yourself and you know, not standing in your own way. Yeah. I could stay yeah. in the kitchen and make cookies and make cakes. And every single time I try and go back in that kitchen, let me tell you, it's, it's a different beast every day. And the hands-on day-to-day function and production is very different from the overall concept and business side. So I really have to stop myself at this point from jumping in. Sure, I have to run the register sometimes. And absolutely, I am the best bathroom cleaner there is. And <laughs> I, you know, I really, I do jump in and, and help hands-on when needed. But the people who are running the day-to-day and doing the production are the specialists that they're trained. Got it, got it. So as you grew, as Sticky Fingers became well-known and you started to grow, how did those challenges change over the years? How did they change? Wow. Um, well, you have to, you know, stepping back is really hard and not being able to see everything that's happening at every moment. Um, I n- never thought that I was micromanager, <laughs> but <laughs> it's really easy to micromanage um, that challenge so that you're really making sure that the people that you are bringing in have the same vision and goals that you do, um, that they're better at what they do than you are. Um, 
I'm not going to bring in a pastry chef to run the, the pastry and the production who can't do it as well as I can, right? And then on top of that, I want them to do it better. So I'm going to bring in somebody who has more um, more knowledge, more experience, more skill than I do, or else you're stuck at with what you know. And that's the same in the business side. Like I always reach a point where I don't know anymore. And now I have to go out and figure it out for myself. Or in some cases, I can bring somebody in who already knows how to do this and let them do that for me. So right now we're in the fifth month of farewell with our diner concept that we've opened. And there are a million roadblocks that I don't know how to execute. But because I've been here. Can you give an example of one or two? Sure. We just had, uh, we're dealing a lot with events right now and like how to properly do events and schedule events in the restaurant, bring in people after hours events, how to tie that into our brand, how to make sure that we're still a part of that event while somebody else is still running that event, how to price the food properly, how to commit to their budget, how to actually plan and do this. And we've been racking our brains trying to, you know, go back and forth between the, daily function of the restaurant and the service and then also plan these events and then even branch out from there to do catering. And, you know, after about a week of us scratching our heads and struggling and like just hitting that roadblock, I was like, you know what, I need to go out and, and ask some questions. I need to go tell people I don't know what I'm doing so I can get some help. And that's exactly what I do. I just start talking. It's time for me to go and ask questions and kind of admit right up front hey, I don't know this, and I don't have this knowledge base <clears throat> in order to execute something that people are asking from us. What do I do? So, Exactly. Yeah. I love that you've shared that because I think it is important because sometimes I think particularly when people are starting out with a new business, they think, oh, I've got to do everything myself. And maybe to a degree, you know, you, you start out bootstrapping, but there comes a point, like you say, where you've got to reach out and either hire staff or hire an expert or a contractor. So I, I love that you said that. Just on the, the subject of staff, because I know within like hospitality, there can be quite a, a huge turnover. So I'm curious, like, how do you go about sort of getting and keeping, you know, motivated and talented staff? <clears throat> It's, you know, it's, I'm up against the same challenges that every other restaurant are facing or is facing, <clears throat> especially here in D.C. We have so many new restaurants. So the competition for talented staff is really, really high. <clears throat> so, you know, that goes back to making sure that we're running a really successful operation that is as competitive as every other business, right? So I can't just expect like, oh, we're vegan. You guys want to work for us, right? You know, that's not really what I'm trying to do. So (laughs) I don't want to just kind of preach to the choir, I guess, you know? And, you know, the, the vegan population is also still really small. I want to make sure that we're reaching out to everyone and showing everyone that this is an acceptable and normal thing, right? And so that goes into our staff as well. So we're ha- I think the majority of our staff is not vegan. Um, are they not? The majority, oh, that's interesting. Oh, cool. Yeah. Okay. The, the majority have not worked, or the majority have worked in the industry. So we're choosing, we're picking from that same pool. 
Um, cool, I got that. That's kind of nice because you're almost like doing advocacy while hiring them because they're kind of working in that environment and they're around it. They're obviously going to, you know, absolutely. change their own perceptions. So <laughs> Absolutely. So some of the things that we do is we make sure that we have a really uh, generous meal program so that people are eating food from our restaurants. Really trying to make sure that we're making them a part of the food on a daily basis. Rather than, you know, maybe another restaurant where they, they have to pay more or, you know, not every restaurant offers free food for all their staff. Really expensive. <laughs> so we're really encouraging people to eat and, and see why we're doing this. And, you know, I, I mean, every, everybody, everybody I talk to who works with us, they'll always say like, huh, I never would have tasted that or I never would have thought that that would have been good. And it's nice. <laughs> the exposure still isn't there on a daily basis. So you really have to, you know, you have to be a cheerleader for your own products with your own staff. You really have to get everybody to align with you so that they're excited about it. Exactly, exactly. So just leading on to that, we mentioned about, uh, you know, the competition, I guess, and I, I, I sort of put that in, in quote marks. How do you go about, because like, obviously there are more and more uh, businesses opening, like you say in DC, there's more restaurants opening or more vegan eateries as well as, uh, or plant-based eateries as well as regular ones. So how do you go about standing out um, within, uh, you know, that business arena, both in terms of attracting vegans and non-vegans? Um, well, I think like the vegans will always find you, you know, but they are our core foundation of clientele. So we have to make sure that we're catering to everybody and first and foremost them. Um, we, I have a, I'm trying to figure out like kind of the best way to put this. Like it's really great if you can grow organically and that's how sticky fingers really grew. And a lot of the things that happened to us marketing and media-wise is because of the timing and because of where we're located in Washington, D.C. There are a lot of media outlets here. So when people go out to, you know, find something interesting or they need a little clip to fill in some time on a certain channel, well, we would get everybody from France to Canada to, I mean, gosh, like Korea, you know, and that was how we were we sold our first licensing agreement to a group in Korea after a show had aired where we were featured because the person on the show came into our shop. So it's little things like that that have happened that have really made a big difference. We uh. saw that and embraced it. After Cupcake Wars, there was a really big, there was a really big pop. It was like 30% increase in sales overnight. Wow. We had no idea it was going to happen. So I reached out to some other people who had been on reality TV food network through connections that I had had at the time. And I asked them what the, what the duration of the pop was. I asked them how long it lasted, what happened afterwards, how are they able to keep up with it? Because we couldn't keep up with it. We were pummeled. Um, and they said, if you know the pop is going to happen, you can plan for it. Right. And here's, Here's how it was for us. Here's what we did afterwards to try and keep it to continue rather than losing all that because there's just a short lifespan. You know, things happen so quickly, you're only relevant for a short amount of time. 
unless you take it and you you give it legs, which is right. what we did. So that's where we, you know, we did the book. So we have a, a recipe book so that we can show everybody what and how, because that was the majority of the interview questions that I was getting at the time. It was like, how do you do this? How do you do this? And I was like, well, buy the book. Um, we've invested in media. We've invested in branding and design development. We invest in PR. Um, we invest in social media and direct outreach. So those are things that I would never have thought about. And if I take them out, I mean, yes, there is an expense to that, but in building a value and building the brand, um, it's a different time than it was 10 years ago. You really have to, if you're going to be up there right up against the big boys and really put yourself out there, you have to force people to listen. And it's, it's, it's hard to make people listen to you when you're not serving bacon, eggs, and dairy. <laughs> so <laughs> that's where the, the media and direct outreach really helps. That's great. I love that you should thank you for sharing that. I think that's that's really important for people to hear. And I was curious, like you say, about like when you started Sticky Fingers, that was a long time ago. Like you said, it was a very different world. And now we've got all this, you know, social media where everyone's a publisher and, you know, there's uh, everyone's producing content. And it's a kind of bit of a, a fight to clamor to get your voice, you know, your brand's voice heard. So I love that you've shared that, you know, you have, you know, invested in, in marketing and PR and in social yeah. to, to get your... I mean, I'm super old, but like 14 years ago. Oh, I bet you're not. I'm probably um, older than you. <laughs> well, well, I guess me. I mean, in terms of things, like in, in just yeah. the relevance of all, like the timeline, right? So 14 years ago, I don't. I think I had a cell phone, maybe, but there was no Facebook. There was no Instagram. Uh, our our website was not interactive. We had email, and we made you know more of our I mean, just in terms of money, more of the money that was coming in was cash rather than credit cards. So it was more like a 60% cash, 30% credit card. And now it's way different than that. It must be like 80% credit card sales versus cash. Yeah, right, right. I mean, there are nights that... Sorry, carry on. I was going to say that there are nights we closed the restaurant where we didn't have any cash sales at all. They're all credit cards. And that alone affects your... you know, your bottom line, but it affects, you know, there is a percentage in that. And so you're talking about, are you pricing your products properly? But the cool thing is that you can also go and look at your demographics that way. So you have, we have a clearer idea of who's coming in our door and where they're coming from. That's a good point, actually. Yeah, I hadn't yeah. thought of that. That's scary. <laughs> yeah, I guess I was going to ask, and it's probably a very kind of subjective question, like whether it was easier to start sticky fingers without all the social media stuff or whether it's been easier or harder to start farewell in this day and age where we've got all the you know bells and whistles um are you asking in terms of emotion or in terms of finance (laughs) i guess both or you know or just um yeah, I guess both. And also just, you know, is it kind of easier now that we've got all this, you know, online and social media, or does that make it more tricky or even more expensive because you've got to put a bigger investment in that side of things? Oh, it's way more expensive. I mean, the investment is huge. It's it's my investment, though, you know, so it, it doesn't, I don't take that necessarily from the staff, for instance. That's 
my investment as meaning that, you know, that my, I don't take a salary per se so that we push this forward, especially in the beginning. That's probably a lot more information than some people are ready for, but, um, you know, I'm the, I'm the one investing in this. I've, I do it with loans. I do it with, um, you know, what the personal finances that I can bring in through my current businesses. I don't have an outside job aside from that. Um, so I can focus on the business and then utilize my, you know, utilize me essentially. So it does spread me a little bit more thin. Got it, got it. And you did touch on emotionally, so I'm curious then, because you've obviously learned a lot through running Sticky Fingers, have you been able to apply much of that to starting up the new business and perhaps avoid some of the pitfalls that, that you know, a first-time startup might experience? Um, yes and no. I think that you know what to be ready for, but then there's new things that pop up that can go wrong. I mean, every every new business adventure is exactly that. It's a roller coaster and a risk. And so there is no guarantee. It's a very extremely high and extremely expensive risk. And regardless of whether or not it's vegan, it's a restaurant. Um, and then trying to do it but mostly myself without really getting investors up front is challenging and emotional, scary, uh, but the goal, honestly, is to get it everything to a place where it warrants interest so that people are interested in investing and taking it to the next level. Got so it. I'm at the, so with that, I'm at the, the point of this is all this is what I know how to do. I know how to replicate what I've already done or I know how to open something similar. But I don't necessarily know how to expand on a, you know, a larger level or a national level. And I think that that is really what is needed in order to get more food into the hands of the consumers it's to make it available. If it's not available, they're not going to eat it. Exactly. Yeah, especially with something like food, it's so important to yeah, literally get it into people's mouths so that they taste it and right. go, wow. Yeah. Right. Oh, that's great. Thanks for sharing that. In terms of the use of the word vegan then, because uh, I know you say, like you say, you're very keen to get it to into the hands of, of you know, mainstream current non-vegans. In terms of the use of the word vegan in your marketing and your branding materials, and I ask everybody this, and I, I always love hearing the different answers. You know, some people say, oh, it's a bit too scary still, and others are like, no, it's a cool and trendy word. Let's use it. Can you talk a little bit about your choice of the use of the word or how prominently or otherwise you, yeah. you choose to use it or not? And so when we opened Farewell, um, we thought about uh, calling it Sticky Fingers Bakery Bistro, but I wanted to differentiate it from Sticky Fingers so that people didn't think that it was only a bakery and so that people who were not vegan who had heard of Sticky Fingers wouldn't necessarily associate Farewell with it being vegan. Right, but the media is going to do what they want and say what they want. So, regardless of what I put on the website, we are tagged, branded as a veggie restaurant. As our, I'm sorry, as a vegan restaurant. So, even though I say veggie centric, they will say all vegan, veggie centric. So, I have <laughs> ab- I have absolutely no control over um, where or when the word is used, and it is catchy and it is a tagline. And so, in some cases, I think it's good in some cases I think it does us a disservice but the reality is that it's vegan so there's only so much that I can fight on that one (laughs) 
Got it, got it. What about on your own website? I mean, you, you use the word sort of sparingly somewhat on your website, so enough that vegans can find it and know that it's vegan, but not kind of necessarily plastered all over it. Is that right? Right, right. And that's where you can work with, you know, the, the behind the, the behind the scenes side on your website where you can put it in to your, you know, SEO search tags, word find stuff, so that when people are searching for vegan restaurants, they can find it, but it's not the first thing that somebody sees on their page. It sees on the page if they're just, you know, looking at it from something else they've seen or that something that somebody else said or tapped. Does that make yeah, sense? Yeah, got it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now that's that's really good advice because it's uh, a couple of people I've interviewed have said that it's similar. Like they don't necessarily want it straight up there, like the very first thing somebody sees because they might immediately be turned off. But you sort right. of you know slip it in there somewhere so that yeah the vegans can uh, can go oh okay yes it is vegan. So it's that fine balance I think, isn't it? Um, cool. So in terms of and you've answered actually a, a few of my upcoming questions all in one, which is is kind of cool. We've touched a bit on <laughs> on. <laughs> on funding and everything which you were kind enough to share and and that importance of putting your own money in to begin with I love that you said you had three jobs like when you first started Sticky Fingers I think that's really important for people to hear that because I think particularly when they we see somebody like yourself you know he's you know getting all this media you know I've that's how I heard about you you know in the mainstream media and and all your success and they kind of think oh well that they must have had lots of money to start with or you know that it started out immediately a success so I love that you said that you know you had to hustle you know you had to do those other jobs and the bartender job and I love that the bartender job actually helped you through that connection yeah. start your business yeah. so I think that's really important for people to hear that so yeah thank you for sharing I, that. I worked you know I stayed working in the, in the restaurant industry of, of course and then I was also working as um, a fitness instructor and personal trainer which oh I wow worked, yeah I worked in in fitness up until 2011 so I continued to work another job and a lot of people do. And, well, it was also something that I really enjoyed doing. But um, it was so that I can continue to invest in my business. Fantastic. That's really, really good to hear. That's really inspiring. Because sometimes people think, uh, I know some like small business owners that have started uh, their business and then they've had to, you know, maybe go back part time to get a job and they feel like they failed. And it's like, well, no, you haven't. You've actually made a smart decision because, oh, you know, yeah. otherwise your business would go under. So it's kind yeah. of about reframing that. So I'm it's, glad that they're going to hear this. <laughs> yeah, it's hard for me right now um, to not do that instinctually to go and work in my business or work outside of my business because that's what you do when you're opening a business. And um, I just talked to another owner who does have partners. Like he's five or six partners and they're all involved in different restaurants. He's an architect. So he works part-time as an architect. He works two nights in the bar at the bar restaurant that he is partner in. And then he does all of the accounting day-to-day work there. So oh, wow. yeah, I, Rarely have I met anybody that is working in their business and only on their business. Um, so right now, farewell and sticky fingers between the two of them. They need all of my attention. And I'm investing everything financially, you know, back into that business to make sure that it can tick. Because the first, you know, it'd be great if you just came out of the gate and everything came together and you were <laughs> making a profit day one. Rarely does that happen. So, you know, especially with a brand new business, you like come out of the gate super hot. Everybody wants to check you out. You can't keep up with the amount of business that is coming in your door. You're scrambling to try and figure it out. 
it's extremely difficult to follow any of your budgets during that time because it's all still very new and you don't have much to follow. And you have a whole new or a lot of new staff members that are also figuring it out. So you kind of have to wait a little while until you get some momentum. And then once you get some momentum, you can go ahead and look and then start applying stuff. So that's, you know, kind of the, the financial game where it's, generally it's a J-curve where you go out really hot and you start making a lot of money, but that doesn't necessarily mean you're actually profiting. So Right, exactly. You know, That's over- a good differentiation. Yeah, That's a good you're, differentiation. Over, you're overstaffed at that time because you're going to, you know, industry turnover, you're going to lose some people. Um, you are not able to really oversee any, you know, people have to work overtime, which is very expensive. Um, you don't have any relationships with your vendors if you're a new business. And so you're paying a lot of COD out of pocket. Um, and it's just a lot of work. <laughs> it's a lot of work. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's important for people to know that. I really, really appreciate you sharing this. This is great. Um, so oh, yeah. I'm question. <laughs> honest about the financial side of it, especially <laughs> if you try and do it on your own. So, Uh, No, I appreciate that because some people, you know, are not, they're kind of like, oh, I don't really want to talk about that side of it. So I love that you're prepared to give people a reality check um, so that they're, yeah, they're going in kind of okay with a, yeah, with the the real situation of of what it's about rather than, um, uh, you know, imagining that it's all going to be fantastic. And not say it is, we don't want to despair people, discourage people, but at the same time, they need to know. By all means, follow your dreams, but be realistic as to how much work that it really does take to pull it off and to get it to where it's a viable business takes a lot of time and energy and people. And the financial side of it is very important. I know that people tend to not be comfortable talking about money and you have to get over that real quick. You have to be able to speak up for yourself and be able to negotiate. You have to be honest and also transparent and that's not comfortable that's true that's very true so that kind of ties into one of my my final questions is about what personal qualities do you believe are essential to staying the course and running a successful business over time oh it's just discipline there's no magic you just have to decide to do it and do it and then know that like every 30 seconds you're going to second guess yourself and maybe cry and then (laughs) 30 seconds turns into three hours and then, you know, I mean, you don't know until you're done, really. I mean, who, who's, the course is done when either it's falling apart and you can't save it or you decide to leave. Like, it's, you just stick with it. Got it. So you've got to have a bit of a, a strong emotional well-being as a business owner. Are there any things that you do, like, I don't know, yoga or meditation or I think you mentioned fitness that you do to, yeah, just to kind of keep you grounded and to cope with the emotional roller coaster of running a business? Yeah, I um, I was very athletic. Of course, opening the restaurant has kind of put that on the back burner right now. And it's very difficult for me to figure out, should I spend the next 30 minutes addressing this issue and this problem? Or should I take 30 minutes to go and go do a workout or go for a quick run and, or go to the gym? So it's, it's a constant daily battle for me um, to, to fit that structure in. But it's super important, even if you can do it once or twice a week. Um, 
I'm also a huge proponent of finding people who are your peers who you can talk to because as a business owner, as an entrepreneur, as somebody leading something or starting something new, you don't ever have your peers working alongside with you, which makes the industry completely different from any other working atmosphere. So you have to go and look for people. And that is, you know, going out at anything from, you know, finding friends who have done the same thing or uh, meetup groups or business groups, or in my case, there's the restaurant association of the metro area. There's a women in food business. There's a women chef organization association. Um, I have a lot of friends that I've met over the years who are doing something similar, um, either running their own businesses or running food businesses. But I have two people that I talk to regularly and they utilize me in the same way. And we're just constantly going back and forth and comparing notes. One is a business owner who expanded her business. Um, one person is designer and the other person is actually there's three. That's right. There's another person who does like web design and, and, and uh, branding. So the businesses are different, but a lot of the issues we deal with are completely the same. It's Got so it. yeah, important. important to have and that support. don't, yeah. It, yeah. And like therapy, have, some, have a good therapist set up. Because there's going to be a time where nobody wants to listen to you anymore and you're actually going to have to pay somebody to listen to you complain and help you figure it out. <laughs> I love that. That's fantastic. What would you say have been the key lessons you've learned, Doran, through running both Sticky Fingers and I know Farewell is still quite new. What would you say the key lessons you've learned, whether that's about yourself, about the business or both? Uh, oh, my God. We have like another two hours. Um, <laughs> it's the thing that kind of sucks is that it's a real big mirror real fast. You know, you quickly see where you fall short and you just have to be willing to work on it and fix it. So I can't tell you how many times a day I apologize or I, you know, try and approach something different in a different way than I've approached it before. Everything from talking to, you know, a staff member or working on a project. Like, it's just constantly have to be ready to address your own self and the things that drive you to do what you do. So, you know, I can be really loud and I can be really direct and that doesn't work for everybody. And there's a lot of, you know, dealing with people and personalities, you really have to learn different ways to communicate with people and um, really, like I said before, the cheerleader, <laughs> it's getting people to fall in love with what they're doing and want to be here and love the concept, not just telling them, you know, this is the work that we're doing and do it. Like that's, that's awful. I don't ever want to be treated like that. And I would never want to treat people like that. And I hear so many people kind of use that model, like this is their job or this is my job. I should do it. But it's not, that is not a great way to form a, a culture and a community of like-minded and compassionate people. You know, it's just, especially in, in running a vegan business. For sure. And then final question, then what's your long-term vision, both for yourself and your brands? Oh, well, <laughs> I don't know. Um, I have a five-year plan. Um, 
I had a two-year plan, which is quickly turning into a three-year plan. Uh, but in, in terms of the business, it's always been to expand and grow so that more people can be exposed to food without animal products. Now, whether that means going through, um, you know, the wholesale lines, resale lines, whether it means actually expanding the brick and mortar, that depends where the interest is. So that's another lesson of being flexible and not being so dead set on one idea and one concept and one thing, you know, the my way or nothing type mentality. Like you can't do that. I really have to see where the interest lies. And right now the interest is, you know, and within the food industry, it's really with, um, and where the successes have been just in the food, food industry in general, it's the growth of the fast, casual, healthier options. So that's pretty much what I'm focusing on right now in, in terms of looking for investors to, to expand the concept. So it would be the, the Sticky Fingers bakery model along with our fast, casual cafe options and making sure that it's a comfortable place where people can come and, and sit down and see each other. You know, the, the restaurants are now the new parks, right? So like people used to go to the park or they used to go <laughs> mall and now they go to restaurants or cafe, you know, like or coffee shops. So putting right. that on the map. Cool. Very, and I'm wondering, I'm wondering because so- you're in social, sorry, Karen, but <laughs> yeah, for sure. I'm wondering whether you're in DC, is there a possibility for you to like get into the white house or to start influencing the politicians, like, you know, getting your food in front of them? Sure. Yeah, we. Um, <laughs> it's it's a daily daily option and opportunity, um, but that's actually, you know, distribution is very interesting. And there's a lot of regulations. Like I can't just go to the White House and like bring them something, right? But no, sure, <laughs> people can order some. And bringing bringing food to an event on Capitol Hill is not necessarily difficult, though you do have to go through quite a few different processes in order to get there. And right. you know, you have to. I mean, having your your car scanned and you know, having background check and all that fun stuff. But um, we have done multiple events and catering events uh, for different um, uh, promotions and for different senators and congressmen in different locations, all related to, you know, I guess you could say the White House, right? But the maybe third week we opened, Cory Booker came in and he's been a customer for years. He came into Farewell and everybody was so excited and taking pictures of people. And it was so, it was so cool. It was so nice to see that. Like, Hey, yeah, this is part of the neighborhood and yeah, the, uh, you know, the, the nation's capital is right here and it is part of our infrastructure. So to see someone like Cory Booker come in and, and enjoy a meal and, you know, talk to everyone, I think is just says a lot about where we are. And Absolutely. Yeah. No, he's amazing. Hoping he'll be the next president. But anyway, we won't get too political. On the show, but, Not um, too political. <laughs> we won't mention him. <laughs> you know who I'm talking about. <laughs> we don't want to poison the um, the airwaves, but no, that's great. No, I think no, great. I, but, no. You know, let's- Let's just hope he becomes vegan over this process. At least that'll be exactly. one good thing. Exactly. Right? Maybe you can help. Yay. <laughs> I'll see what I can do. 
Oh, fantastic. Thank you so no, much for, for sure. talking with me, Dora. And it's been wonderful. Sure. You shared some really, really great insights, wonderful advice for, for people who are starting out or even existing businesses as well. Yeah. Uh, really appreciate your, your advice and wonderful to see your success. And I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing more and reporting more um, as you continue to grow. So thanks again for coming on the show. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for the opportunity. And I hope to encourage and support and Anybody can reach me at any time if they ever need anything. I'm really accessible, so I hope that I can do my part as well. Fantastic. Thank you. So that was Doran Peterson of Sticky Fingers and Farewell. You can find out more at stickyfingersbakery.com and eatfarewell.com. And those links are on the show notes page at veganbusinessmedia.com forward slash podcasts and going to episode 53. Now for our vegan business news roundup. Vegan eggs and blue algae lattes are on their way to Sydney, Australia, courtesy of Melbourne's popular Matcha Milk Bar, reports Concrete Playground. Co-owner Sarah Holloway said she was still looking at venues with Bondi and Surrey Hills under consideration. Matcha, as you may remember from a previous episode of Vegan Business Talk, made headlines last year for its bright blue latte drink made from algae. A diverse range of healthy offerings will be on the Sydney menu, from breakfast bowls made with dragon fruit, banana, almonds, activated chia, goji berry, orange and chocolate protein granola – sounds delicious <laughs> to matcha pancakes with lychee raspberry passion fruit white chocolate sauce macadamia crumb lemongrass and macadamia ice cream plus the company's patented vegan eggs as well as a green soy chicken burger and bright rainbow colored salads wow <laughs> that's making me hungry just thinking about it i'm certainly looking forward to trying these foods out and it's great to see the success and expansion of another plant-based business Renowned shoe brand Birkenstock, popular for its sensible and comfortable footwear, is finally bringing out a vegan line in the US, reports Yahoo Style. The German-based company said it was responding to demand from customers for leather-free alternatives. Head of Communications Jochen Gutzi said, When our customers told us that they wanted vegan editions of Birkenstock's classic sandals and clogs, we listened. Birkenstock was always concerned about choosing the best raw materials from natural resources. With our selection of vegan styles, we can keep taking steps closer to an even more sustainable and compassionate future. They sure can. Isn't this fantastic news? The first run of the shoes, which are available now, will feature 30,000 pairs in various models, including the classic Boston clog and the city chic Gizeh thong sandal. So this is a great step in the right direction. And let's hope that demand is so high that the company considers switching all its shoes to be vegan. There's really no reason why not with the developments in animal-free biotech materials. Miyoko's Kitchen, makers of artisanal cultured nut products in California, has debuted its vegan butter at Trader Joe's stores in the west coast of the US, reports Veg News. 
The plant-based butter is made with cultured cashew milk and organic coconut oil and is palm oil free. It's currently available at a total of 226 Trader Joe's locations in Utah, California, Oregon, Washington, Arizona, Idaho and Nevada. Founder Miyoko Shina, who I've interviewed on this podcast, if you missed it, do check it out, said she hoped that being in Trader Joe's is a way of increasing visibility of veganism through fun and innovative items that pique the interest of even mass market consumers. This is fantastic news. I love Miyoko's products and it's so good to see this only two-year-old company continue its expansion. Plant-based milk company Ripple Foods, which uses pea protein to create its products, is on course to double the number of US stores it's available in this year, reports Food Navigator. Currently sold in 3,000 stores, including Target and Whole Foods, only nine months after its launch, the pea milk will hit 6,000 by summer this year. The company has developed patent-pending protein purification technology to produce a creamy product that is free from soy, nuts and dairy. It boasts 8 grams of protein per serving, 50% more calcium and half the sugar of dairy milks. More retailers are becoming interested in stocking it because it's bringing more customers into the dairy alternative section of stores. I'm so happy to hear that this product is succeeding and I really hope it'll come to Australia as I'm keen to try it. I love a nice creamy plant-based milk on my cereal. (laughs) Great stuff. Finally, a vegan and vegetarian speed dating business is expanding across the US, reports Veg News. Veg Speed Date founder Karen Brighton, an event specialist from Canada, tested her concept over five years in San Francisco and Ottawa in response to her friends expressing frustration at the lack of suitable potential vegan partners. The company launched its website this week and will run events in 20 cities in North America from 8th February. Vegan singles will be able to attend two-hour events at veg-friendly bars, restaurants and venues in cities including San Francisco, Austin and Miami, as well as several locations in Canada. A maximum of 30 people can attend each event, and this includes different age groups, genders and sexual preferences. And the aim is to expand into even more cities from March. This is such a cool business and it just goes to show the variety of vegan businesses that you can run. I know quite a few people who find it difficult to find a soulmate who's on a par with their passions and commitment to living vegan. So services and events like this offer the perfect solution. So that's it for this episode of Vegan Business Talk. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed the show, I'd really appreciate it if you gave it a review and rating on iTunes or any other platform you're listening on. Finally, I encourage you to head over to veganbusinessmedia.com where you can find more resources, including details of my media and PR consultations, copywriting, editing and proofreading services to help you grow your vegan business. I'm Katrina Fox, author of Vegan Ventures, Start and Grow an Ethical Business, And I look forward to catching up with you in the next episode of Vegan Business Talk. Bye for now.